This is hot. This is hot. Yeah, hi. I'm Rachel Sharetti, and I am Associate Pastor of Discipleship here at Chapelwood with with older adults, as well as a pastor of the Center for Christian Spirituality here at Chapelwood. Awesome. And how did you get called? What was your calling? Into My calling into the ministry? Well, I was nine years old, and I um, grew up Southern Baptist, and I felt, well, I guess I was in a church where there was a culture of call. I mean, there was language that was used and, um, you know, we did a lot of study about missionaries. We had a lot of examples, but the, the only woman on staff was the minister to children. But I felt, um, a sense in my heart. I mean, this is, I'm using my nine-year-old language. I told my children's minister one Wednesday night, I went into her office and sat down and I said, Miss Carol, I just feel like God wants something from me. Mm -hmm. And I think Mm -hmm. that it is to serve him for my life. And she said, um, the Baptist term for that was um, full-time Christian service. Well, at least for it is for a woman as full-time Christian service. And um, she says, you know, maybe that's what it is. And I I said, yes, it might be. I don't know. I might become a missionary. I might marry minister. I might... um, you know, be a children's member. I don't know what it is, but, um, but I really think that this is what God wants from me. And she just, she said, well, Rachel, she said, just be obedient Hmm. wherever you go in your life, just be obedient. Mm -hmm. And I felt so, um, validated and Mm -hmm. affirmed. And I just walked out of the office and I was like, yes. And so I really did after that, um, tried to be really intentional about serving in any capacity that was available to me. Mm-hmm. And so it, when I got into my teenagers, really, there was more opportunities to serve as a camp counselor, vacation Bible school leader. Um, we started a Bible study at our in our high school and it was just lots of different things like that. And just like over and over and over again, you know, you know, they say, do what makes your heart sing. And my heart was singing. And Mm -hmm. then, um, so yeah, that's, that, that's the, where it all started. And as a kid, you know, a daughter of the church, um, and, um, and I always felt even in my, though there was not any like women up on the platform or the pulpit, I've really felt, um, just affirmed in my, where, where the direction I was going. Now it unfolded differently, you know, than how I ever would have thought or dreamed. Yeah. Um, yeah. but yeah, that's my story. Mm-hmm. I'm glad you've been obedient. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. I'm Reverend Joy Johnston. <clears throat> I have to do that again. I have to edit yeah. that out. <laughs> Clearly I've had a cold. <clears throat> Sorry. I'm Reverend Joy Johnston, and I serve as pastor of pastoral care here at Chapelwood. I'm the newest pastor, one of the newest pastors on staff, and definitely amongst us. I just came here in at the beginning of January, and so um, my my story is a little uh, kind of the opposite of Rachel's, which is I didn't grow up in church. I didn't grow up um, having any connection to church, and that was you know. So I I started going to church in my late early twenties, and um, just kind of got involved in the United Methodist Church and have stayed with that 
throughout all the years. And when I was in my late 30s, I used to be a geologist and hmm. is my former career and education. And in my late 30s, we were just involved in a, church, in a Methodist church and I saw actually a female pastor preach one time. And I thought, oh, I can, I could be a pastor. I didn't, had never come across women in ministry before. Hmm. So that kind of began a series of experiences where I then went on to seminary and then eventually ended up in going into full-time ministry and changing careers completely. Hmm. Awesome. So, hmm. awesome. <clears throat> Melissa Mayer and I serve currently as the pastor of Mercy Street. Um, I had been in that role, so I've been at Chapelwood 15 years in total. I'd been at Mercy Street um, as the new pastor, and within the first six months, I had to adopt the term as lead pastor, um, because often in spaces when I introduced myself, they would ask then for the card of the pastor. Mm -hmm. um, and so my colleagues gave me a hard time for adding to my, <laughs> to my title. Um, but I think that that's just a, my calling is something I think for each of us in our own Christian vocation, it's just continued to unfold. Mm. Um, Rachel, like you, I grew up in the church and it was a big part of our socialization, our weekly routine, it's where friendships were formed, and certainly where I learned hymns and songs and prayers that um, from Jesus Loves Me, This I Know, which still carries me to this day. Mm. Um, and so there's, that was just always been a part of uh, my journey. And in college, I really, I got connected through the Wesley Foundation. And mm. so a shout out to the importance of college campus mm. ministry. Um, and that's where I think faith for me moved from being personally important and just kind of being a part of the waters that I swam in to uh, being introduced to people that really said no, but the cost of discipleship is great. Like God's grace really does cost something and um, turns out you can't take care of it. <laughs> and so for Methodist, as much as I had heard about grace my entire life, it wasn't until I was probably 19 or so that I realized, wow, grace really does empower and save us from everything, whatever it is. Hmm. Addiction to people, places, persons, things. Hmm. Uh, for me, it was perfectionism. Hmm. And, um, and so my faith began to just break open in that moment. And right after college, uh, I had friends that were going to be in full-time ministry, and they were going to seminary. And I said, you know, I, that's not for me, but I'll, I'll give it a year. And um, I had a blast, and I was not mature enough to go into ministry. Mm -hmm. And I also, that was the first time in my life at, at uh, 21, 22 at the time, um, my mental health just broke. Hmm. And so that got stitched together with calling for a while. Hmm. And uh, I was grateful I, I was able to go into banking and I moved to Houston, worked in finance. And what really gave me that next unfolding in my call of grace, of feeling called to leadership and service within the church. I worked for two men in banking who, if they would have done anything else in life besides banking, they would have missed their God-given call. Mm. And I said, I want to go find that. Mm. <laughs> wow. And it turns out it's in the church. And it turns out, um, so even going to graduate school, I'd been a young adult at Mercy Street and Chapelwood. And, um, but as I went to graduate school, I just realized seminary, it's the life of the local church. And I want to help others find what is it God's called you to do? Not necessarily occupation, but vocation. What's he called you to do? If you did anything else, you would, 
you would miss it. And uh, what I also have discovered now, 15 years into ministry, you can never miss God's calling in your life. Yeah. Mm. God's going to make sure that <laughs> you hear it and yeah. uh, and follow it. Yeah. So. Yeah. yeah. That's great. Uh, I'm Sarah Barnett. Um, I am a pastor here at Chapelwood. I do. Uh, systems and missional strategy, which doesn't mean anything to a lot of uh, people, but basically uh, I'm helping us just think, where do we want to go? How are we going to get there? What are the pieces that need to kind of fall into place um, for that? Uh, my call, I, so I didn't grow up in church as a, a young kiddo, um, but when I was in middle school, I was invited um, to a Methodist church for a retreat, which also didn't mean anything to me, that insider church language. I was like, what do you, what does that mean? Uh, and so I went and was, I mean, encountered Jesus in just a very real way. Um, and just spoke to where I was in life, um, some hope that I needed in that season, um, community that I needed through the students and the volunteers there. Um, And so just had this encounter and then was at a Methodist church and at a church that did have female clergy. And so I was able to see women living into that call um, and see that as a a possibility um, in high school kind of felt maybe a stirring into to ministry and uh, explored that through volunteering leadership opportunities that kind of stuff in college is really where I felt that call affirmed though um, and uh, that looked for me like trying out a bunch of different churches I interned in student ministry that's really where I felt my calling uh, but experienced a Presbyterian Church a Disciples of Christ Church uh, just a bunch of different uh, varieties and what it did for me on the other side was really clarify that uh, a Methodist Church is home for me Um, it helped me break down barriers between churches that we do truly all love Jesus that we are seeking to serve God uh, but there was something about that grace uh, that that just called me home Um, and then my call has just kind of continued to slowly develop. Uh, growing up in youth ministry, I saw a lot of youth pastors come through that were really on a pastor track. They were not on a, a youth ministry track. And so it was like a stepping stone or like a earning their, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> and so I was adamant for a very long time that I was never going to do anything else. It was just student ministry. Uh, and I lived into that for 11 years, 10 years. Uh, but yeah, experienced a call into ordained ministry. Uh, and that was really neat because it grew in this community at Chapelwood. Uh, and I, uh, as that was beginning to stir, had affirmations from lay leaders here and from staff here that could say, yeah, I see that in you and um, could call that out as well. Um, so yeah, that's kind of my call story and how I ended up here. Thank you. Well, I'm Tammy Heinrich and, um, my call, I'm the pastor of worship here, and so I oversee the worship services in the sanctuary and also interact with new members and, and uh, um, just hang out with folks. Um, my call story, I, I came up with a title for it yesterday. It's You Can Run But You Can't Hide. And so <laughs> it was never, ever, ever on my radar to um, be a minister. I did grow up in a church. My dad was um, a choir director. And so I think from an early age, I kind of saw how the sausage gets made, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? Yeah. But we, I grew up in the church. 
and was involved, um, I was confirmed in the Methodist Church, I was involved in, in uh, youth fellowship and all that great stuff. And then I had that classic thing where you go off to college and you don't go to church anymore. So I went off to UT, I didn't go to church anymore. And then um, my boyfriend who became my husband, Tim, um, he's a, he grew up good old Southern Baptist boy. So of course he knew that we were supposed to go to church. So we got back into church again, went to a Methodist church. And I uh, worked in marketing and PR for a few years. We started having a family. And for the next decade or so, I stayed home with our four children and raised mm -hmm. them, whilst also um, being like volunteer of the year at the church. I served <laughs> in probably every single volunteer leadership capacity that you could. I taught Bible studies, I taught Sunday school, I led youth group, I you know chaired everything. And it was many, many years later that the church that I was at, um, we got involved in a, we got involved with a, a drug treatment facility for women here in Spring Branch. It's called Santa Maria Hostel. And I started teaching a Bible study there. Mm -hmm. And I taught there every single week. It was, it was like I had never experienced anything like it because these women's lives were like mm -hmm. a wreck. But what I kept noticing was that when I was with these women and helping them and doing life with them and talking to them about God, it, it just felt like everything was right with the world, you know? But I didn't recognize that as a call to ministry. My oldest brother was a minister, he's retired now. And so my mind was like, we have a minister and it's not me, you know? <laughs> and, um, but at any rate, what, what happened is I was offered a job at, at the church where we were at, because I'd been volunteering teaching this Bible study, and I was offered a part-time job as the outreach director and so I was like I said to myself you know I love the church and we're fortunate enough that I don't have to work but I love the church and I want to work for the church yes and at the same time I thought I need to go back to school and get some more education you know because I had like a journalism degree from UT and I thought I need some more education in like ministry and theology and so I went, what I told everybody was that I was in graduate school. I said, I'm in graduate school, I'm getting my master's degree. And it was at Perkins School of Theology at SMU. <laughs> and all of my classmates were like, like they were people like Rachel who were like, when I was 10 years old, God called me to be a minister and I just always, you know. And so I was like, yeah, that's great, y'all. I'm just getting my master's degree back off, you know. And um, it was a very slow, but sh I mean, God slowly but surely um, turned the ship, mm -hmm. you know? I mean, it really did feel like he was turning the ship. And he involved a lot of different people in my life to convince me of that. So then it became, okay, I'm in seminary. Then it became, okay, mm -hmm. maybe I'll enter into candidacy. Then it became, okay, maybe I'll get licensed, you know? Maybe I'll get commissioned. And I would always like, Tim and I would go out to dinner and I would tell him what my latest thinking was, you know. And he finally said to me, he figured it out before I did. Mm -hmm. He said, you know, I think this is an unstoppable force. Mm -hmm. And so God literally backed me into a corner and I finally said yes. Mm -hmm. And so that's how I got here eight years ago. <laughs> Chapelwood was kind enough to make a place for me and I was appointed here. And that's where I've been since. And when I was commissioned, I was appointed to Chapelwood. Mm -hmm. Thank you. That's great. That's great. Now we just sit here and look at each other. <laughs> this is the part where we just sit here well, and look at few, each other. So a few of us just connected before no, Board of Stewards last night. And so we 
talk uh, about some you of are, the complications. You are all officially the co-host, and I'm just sitting here listening. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Have, have, have at it. I think, yeah, some of the, the, the messiness, the complications, the yeah. uniqueness of being a woman in ministry. Yeah. Yeah. Without, without, yeah. Yeah. So one that uh, is real fresh is, John, thank you for holding Timothy and babysitting him a little bit. It was interesting because initially I wasn't going to be able to make the podcast because I pick up Timothy on at two. Um, and all of y'all were incredibly gracious. Let's figure out another time and a different schedule so I can be here, which I'm very thankful for. Um, and the comment that was made regularly by all of y'all individually was, it would be so great to have Timothy there. That's part of being a woman in ministry, <laughs> which is true. But also, shouldn't that just be part of a parent in ministry, right? Yeah. Like that's just one yeah. of those nuanced things of yeah. like, yeah, yeah, and right, yeah. like um, that should also be normal for you know others yeah. as well. And so, right. yeah. Anyways, it's just one of those. Yeah, yeah. Things. Yeah. I mean, along those lines, um, yeah. A challenging time for me was whenever I was pregnant, <clears throat> and you know. <laughs> which was at first of three pregnancies and I was at um, always on staff and um, there was and this is probably everywhere but there is a special attention I mean everybody thinks you know you're, you're everybody's daughter or granddaughter and so they just have comments about your body air changing body yep. you know and um, that got a little old um, you know it did mm-hmm. and um, but I'm sure that people, well, I don't know, because I'm not, well, I can only know the shoes that I walk in, and um, and that got hard. Yeah, I think it's, um, that is one of the unique things about being a female in ministry, is, is people tend to be more willing to make comments about our appearance or our bodies that I don't think they would normally have made, or at least I haven't heard other male pastors mention that they have been asked to show their legs more frequently in worship. I've not uh, been asked that. You've not been asked. So, <laughs> so yeah, there we go. Wow, yeah. 30 the years. 30. <laughs> I, I've been asked that multiple times or told that the way I looked was distracting to a person in my, my congregation and therefore they left the church um, mm. because it was distracting to them because wow. I was a female. Mm. And I'm like, Okay. I'm like, what do you say to those things? Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's, that that's one of the unique things I think that being a female in ministry has mm-hmm. definitely I've had experience with over the years. Mm-hmm. I was asked to wear more makeup for a wedding I was doing mm-hmm. because okay. of the photographer wanted it for picture aesthetic purposes. So. Again, I've never yeah. been asked to wear makeup yeah. for a wedding. So. Yeah. No eyeliner? Or? No, never. Not one time. Not one time. <laughs> Not even by the photographer. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, 15 years I've been here at Chapelwood, and, and so uh, any example that I'm about to name has happened to me more than once. So mm-hmm. anyone listening, I'm, I'm not trying to call anyone out. Um, being assigned a wedding and then being pulled off yeah. the wedding once the family member finds out that it'll be a female clergy, so mm-hmm. needing to reassign mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Um, people, yeah, telling you I'm, I'm leaving the church because it's no longer biblical with you preaching the word to a room full of uh, people, men, women, everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, willingness by other uh, folks in leadership to give out my cell number, particularly as a single female clergy. 
Um, and so setting me up and yeah, you're kind of everyone's daughter or granddaughter. <laughs> just or, FYI, that was <laughs> never me. It, <laughs> I just, that's the God honest truth and, it, and I'm grateful for it. <laughs> I think it was one of the first things I said when you came, like don't pass yeah. on my cell number. <laughs> Melissa was very clear. When I said, yes, okay. uh, again, these have all happened on multiple occasions, not just, um, and so yeah, I think comments about uh, appearances and there's, there's just for other colleagues who are, are also women in ministry um, and who are, are single, there's a, a questioning of um, can I fulfill my roles in ministry if I've not met the expectations of society to do what I need to do, yeah. which is to be married and to be a mother. Mm -hmm. And some of that doesn't always get played out so on the nose, um, but in a roundabout sort of way. Mm -hmm. And uh, certainly for me, for us, um, as white female clergy within our annual conference, it's different for a person of color. Um, yeah, we already have limited number of appointments we can serve. They have even, uh, my friends have even more limitation. Mm -hmm. yeah. Tammy, what you got? <laughs> I, I just remembered one that I hadn't remembered previously. So at my last congregation, and I usually can laugh at this stuff, you know, um, in my last congregation, one morning I was preaching. We had we had a service in in the sanctuary and a service in our fellowship center simultaneously, and so we the the senior pastor and I would swap off who was going to preach where. So one particular Sunday, I was um, I was in the sanctuary, and when I got up to preach, there was a, a a woman, an elderly woman, in the very front pew of the church. And when I stepped into the pulpit, she stood up. And she walked out, mm -hmm. and I watched wow. her walk all the way out. Mm -hmm. And uh, the ushers told me later that when she got out out into the narthex, she said, "Where's the male pastor preaching?" And she wanted <laughs> uh, she wanted to hear him. Um, I did have someone once. I was just engaging, trying to engage them in conversation about their thoughts around around women clergy, and this was a, a woman I was having a conversation with, and I said to her. Um, I said, so I guess you don't think it's biblical for women to be ministers? And she said, no. And I said, well, then what would you say to a woman who feels like she's been called by God into the ministry? Mm -hmm. And she said, she's either imagining it or she's making it up. Mm. <laughs> and I just, I, and I, I was like, okay, you know, um, if, if that's what you think. Really you know. affirming, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, but, but luckily, um, I don't, I don't, I think because for me, because, I, because like I said, God literally chased me down. By the time I finally said yes, I was so clear about my call that I don't need other people mm -hmm. to agree with me about it. Mm -hmm. It's kind of a, it's kind of a non-issue, yeah. you know. Mm -hmm. Some wisdom in that. I, I will say I've also uh, raised in South Louisiana and Baton Rouge, um, my father, who is an incredible man of God, made the brave choice to join my mother in the United Methodist Church instead of raising us in the Catholic Church, which in the in Louisiana that's, that's a big deal. Yeah. <laughs> that's a big deal. <laughs> that's a big deal. Um, and so I grew up in that environment. Also, uh, my grandmother on on that side, uh, Roman Catholic, devout. Um, it was a big deal that when I got ordained, which to her is n not good, but she gave me a, a traveling communion set. Mm. And so when I go visit people in their yes. homes, but 
the confessional part is still to this day, even though I am a woman in ministry, that was the water that I swam in that women were not called to ordain ministry. I've gone into churches to officiate a wedding and I'm talking to the woman in charge and assumed they were the wedding coordinator and they're the senior pastor. Yeah. Mm. And so I, I am still even mm. in embodying this calling, yeah. unraveling what has been just part of culture. Mm -hmm. um, so I have a question. Ed, connected to this, do you find so? So first off, there's been a lot of progress when you say you go in and there's a woman senior pastor. So there's progress been made. But do you find like in the current cultural sort of climate that we're in, where it's like this people move into polarities and all that? Do you do you think that is moving things for like for you in ministry ahead, or do you feel like in some ways there's some things like throttling back? And I, I don't know the answer. I just wonder how you all feel about that. I'm not sure. Um, you know, I, I'm just so steeped in the United Methodist Church. I haven't haven't felt that that push yet. But I could see where it could certainly happen. And I've definitely run into the issues with other other denominations who have you know a, a strong stance against women in ministry. And as when I was leading my own church. You know, I was I would have pastors who would refuse to attend the ecumenical pastoral count, uh, meeting because they didn't want to be seen as it being in the presence of sin. Um, wow. I've had to defend my call to, you know, because other other male pastors and different denominations are like, well, how do you how do you justify this? And I'm like, I'm here because Jesus called me, just like you. You know, I'm, I've got nothing else to, to say besides, yeah. I this is what God's called me to do, is to share the love of Jesus Christ with people in in this community. And so I've definitely experienced those types of you know that push from other denominations that this is not okay but i i don't just like you know tammy she's like i can't this is my clear call i can't do anything else besides follow what god's called me to do and so i just kind of leave it with them to understand that how do you justify your call you know yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. of all people why you and so that's mm. kind of where where it's landed for me mm. What about on the, what about the opposite side? Do you find have you found places or spaces or um, where as as a woman in ministry that has allowed you into some special space or sacred space? Maybe that as you've reflected on it, you thought, okay, this is a unique door that's open um, hmm. because of who I am in ministry. I I would say in the in a pastoral care setting a lot yeah. of times um i don't have training in mental health therapy to know about transference or all of that but but there is as as a um as i come to conversations that are more pastoral particularly around heartbreak and brokenness there's a there's a quick trust that is there mm -hmm. that there's like a um I think people assume it's and hope it's going to be a nurturing environment that there's going to be um, a level of empathy that's there that that will be helpful. Hmm. So I would say, yeah, that and that and that is a a strength of being a woman in ministry is I do think by nature we we have this sense to to be nurturing <laughs> and to get to want to gather people and to want to uh, attend to and pay attention. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. To what's going on? 
Yeah, I was gonna say as a pastor of pastoral care for many years, being a female in ministry, you know, is very helpful, especially in a pastoral care sense. For one thing, women, you know, may want to talk about something that only women want to talk to another woman about. And so that's been very helpful for me as I've mm -hmm. ministered with people mm -hmm. to be able to connect with them in those different areas that you might not want to discuss with a male, just any male, you know, there's some of the different things that they're experiencing. So I think it's been helpful for me in many ways. Hmm. Yeah, I have not experienced any place that I haven't been um, allowed mm -hmm. or invited in. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it has not, I mean, whether it's been the hospital or someone's home or the pulpit or the table or, mm -hmm. you know, it has not been a problem. I have always felt welcome. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Your, your denominational background is a little different. Mm -hmm. Do you think that has a, anything to do with it or? I don't know. I left the Southern Baptist churches in my yeah, I early twenties. Yeah, they 20s. would be more open. To that. <laughs> yeah, um, but although it's I always felt like you know, yeah. I don't know. But so when I moved into a more progressive Baptist setting, um, I mean, both of those churches were uh, led by women senior pastors, mm -hmm. and um, yeah, and it just wasn't. It wasn't a thing, you know, it was like, here we are, we're doing the work and, you know, the people invited us there and into their lives. And if they, you know, that was too much for them, um, then they went and found another church home. Um, but, yeah. yeah, I wonder if subconsciously maybe I seek out safe places. Like, <laughs> oh, for sure. Like, and so for I sure. know, like, okay, it's going to be okay walking in here as a female clergy because there have been experiences where I've walked in and they're like, wait, what's happening right, right. now? Whether that's a clergy or even when I was at the director level in mm -hmm. student ministry, that was such a male mm -hmm. dominated position to walk mm -hmm. into some spaces. It was like, and so when is the director going to get here? Like the pastor of, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and so I do wonder if there's some, mm -hmm. in some way, sometimes I just seek out safer places and avoid yeah, for sure. the other. I think about, back to your question of, um, moving forward or backwards and how mm -hmm. that that is working i was sharing with um i think melissa and tammy yesterday i remember a retirement video at annual conference every year they show videos of the retirees mm -hmm. uh for that year and um this was not that long ago um pre-pandemic but but still recent in our history um a retired elder was sharing that she has never been appointed somewhere that was welcome and wanting of her hmm. wow. And so, and, and that's not that long ago, right? Like that's yeah. not, yeah. Um, but that it was always an uphill battle for her as a female clergy. And I can think about even searches that I've been a part of, whether it's here or other churches, when they're, when lay leaders are designing their candidate, right? A lot of times it's, we would love a male who's in his, you know, early 30s with 2.5 kids, that they're married and they're willing to settle down right here. Yeah, yeah but also 30, 30 years of experience and can prove that they can do all these things. Um, I don't know that I've walked into that room and it's been like, we would love to have a female clergy who, or not even <clears throat> clarify, we would just love a clergy who has these gifts and these passions. And, right. um, you know, earlier when we were listing out some of our experiences with this we were listing a lot of on the nose examples um mm -hmm. like here is a thing but i think a lot of times it shows up for me way more subtle uh and it's you know it's not um 
I don't want a female clergy in this space, but but there are just ways that, uh, if you want to call it patriarchy or just male oriented mm-hmm. or whatever, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. Th- that I'm second, right, mm-hmm. or I'm overlooked or I'm I'm whatever, um, just as female that. I don't, so to your point, Rachel, I don't know that it's ill intent, mm-hmm. right? Um, it's just a bias that I don't know that everybody's aware of yeah. that they have. Yeah. Yeah, one of the recent experiences I've had, or just over years, if, there, if it's myself and another male clergy, people will walk in and they'll introduce themselves first to the man, yeah. to the mm-hmm. male clergy. Mm-hmm. And then they'll be like, oh, because they'll assume I'm his wife or some. And then they're like, well, wait, who are you? And then I'm like, oh, well, I'm one of the pastors, too. Right. <laughs> you know? yeah. So it's, it's, it's subtleties like that. Yeah. that the, the, the immediate assumption is, is that the male clergy is, is the pastor, but not the you know, a female is going to be that same, same clergy person. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, so it's subtle. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think the question about culture and definitely more polarized, where, so I don't know if we're moving forward or backwards. I feel as someone who's in between, and maybe it's just because I'm also by birth a middle child, I feel a, a great sense of debt and gratitude to mm. yeah. the woman who was retiring and, and yeah. all the different yeah. spaces she had to encounter that now I walk into and mm-hmm. I, I don't have the same experience. There may be some challenges still. And, and I, then I feel a, a, a definite responsibility to um, the pastors coming up after me mm-hmm. and, and a whole new cutting edge of... Um, LGBTQ and non-binary, right. and, and so I feel this responsibility of uh, figuring out the ways that I'm already continuing to contribute to kind of status quo. Yeah, and some of that, which I think is really good, and, and I think we here at Chapel would do a great job of this. In the past, when the church was trying to make social change, we would lean towards apologetics. Mm-hmm. So women in ministry. So like, let's look at the verses. Let's look at the passages, and. I, that's important. I love that here at Chapelwood, we just try to keep bringing more and more and more voices who follow Jesus to say, how are you seeing the gospel? And so for our seminary, and now I'm making a total pivot, feel free to edit it, (laughs) but for our seminaries, I, I was 28 years old before the audacity of it was a woman that announced the resurrection. And there's no way that they put that in the Bible because it would have had no authority, wouldn't have counted for nothing. But they did it because that that's the way I'd never heard it's that. It's a woman yeah. that, that professed yeah. faith in Jesus for the first time. Yes. Why is the mother of my Lord come to see me? Yes. <laughs> and and so all of these things that I had just completely missed or were not taught. And so I think our our seminaries and even our local churches are trying to catch up to. Let's not make the case for fill in the blank. Yeah. Let's just open the Bible and read the stories and say, yeah. "Wow, look at look at what Jesus, look at what God was doing to to move those barriers." That's not the culture we're in. <laughs> I always thought it was. I was always interesting too in the Roman Catholic Church. You know, they don't allow the ordination of of women, but yet Mary is the first apostle right. in their theology. Yeah, right, she's the first to get it. Yeah. Mary, the mother of Jesus. Right, right, right. You know, yeah. and I don't, I don't I, 
Yeah, I don't know. I, I think when I when I said about the cultural things, you know, in the in the Meth- United Methodist Church, we've gone through some some schism and some splintering, and uh, while a lot of it was sort of one one facet of it was human sexuality, right? Marriage and ordination. But you see coming out of churches that have, have been leaving or whatever, other issues pop up, right? It's about biblical authority. Well, now once you go down that road and you're going to get literalist about all that kind of stuff, then new things pop up. Do you mind if I – do you have a clip? I do. Do you mind if I play this clip for you? And the only reason I do is because I think it fits. So this is um, – at this was last summer when I was working in our conference, um, there was a meeting of the people who were for the Global Methodist Church trying to get churches to disaffiliate. This was in Lufkin, Texas, and they had a big meeting, and there were a bunch of lay people coming to learn about how to disaffiliate and what the issues were. And one of the lay people there, a woman, asked a question. I think we have it uh, on here. Okay, I understand the 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 differences between global and united when it comes to human sexuality. But as a woman in the church, I also know that there's a lot more verses about a woman's role in the church in the Bible than it is about human sexuality. So, and that is that a woman is to be silent, set in the church, uh, not be leaders. So what is gonna be the global stance on that issue as it relates to you know, following the Bible? So, Jim, you're looking at me. Uh, so you want to answer. So. You take the one that, yeah, we're committed to South uh, Africa, and you let me have women in the church, okay? Yeah. <laughs> well, um, one thing, the part, it's funny, in seminary, I did a lengthy paper on uh, women be quiet in church, and that means something so much different than what it appears to say. Uh, and I can go into all of that. Uh, that very same book, First Corinthians, has women prophesying in church. So certainly, Paul's not saying women feel free to prophesy, but women don't speak in church. There was something more going on than what appears to, and if you go into the text. So a couple things about that. First, Rob Renfro making the same argument United Methodists make when we say there's more going on than just what appears in the text. Mm -hmm. And also, um, he's quasi-fundamentalist in the sense that he's he's really like he's trying to argue Paul prophecy if you if you understand fundamentalists kind of interpretation of that the prophecy is very different than the speaking of the church they're two separate things so his biblical exegesis is a little off too but the point I'm making is when I see that going on and then there was something that recently came out on the friends of the GMC uh, national Facebook thing and the comment section, which is where the devil lives um, in the comment section of social media, is stuff like, well, women are the reason we're in this position. Um, what was it? You know, <laughs> it all started with women. How many people who are ignoring the book of discipline are women? And it started just goes off. That's why I was wow. saying this cultural thing is like, so now you have this denomination that's splitting off because they want to be more faithful conservative if you go down that line hmm. you know where do you end up i mean divorce and remarriage and you you, be, you become like the southern baptists who are not excommunicating whatever they call it you know saddleback in los angeles because they have female pastors so they've disfellowshipped them hmm. and that's what i meant i think about the cultural stuff is there's these moves and, it, and i don't think it's a huge swaths of people 
But there are these moves, and I even saw it within this church. There were certain people or elements in the United Methodist conversation that kind of wanted us, you know, kind of, you know, they, they, they're worried about the wokeness of the world and it's fear and stuff and going in this direction. And I just, I don't know, as I'm observing that, I'm thinking it doesn't just impact this one issue around human sexuality. It starts to have ripple effect on all of these other things. And one of them is this, I mean, you know, women in ministry and how people talk about it. And, and I would even say in the United Methodist Church, even though that wall's been broken since the, what, 50s, 60s, I think, something like that, um, it's one thing to say women are, um, what's the term? That It's one thing to say women can be ordained and women are welcome to be fully ordained. It's another thing to get a phone call to be a lead pastor of a church. Sure. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> Yeah, I, I I just have a sense when we lean into apologetics or a biblical interpretation from a fundamental, like we're just, history shows us we're going to get it um, incomplete every yeah. time. Yeah. Hmm. And uh, I hadn't thought about this until uh, um, we would go to Waco every summer. That's where my mom's parents lived and uh, Cooper Farms. Best peaches in Waco. Anybody else with me? Peach ice cream, so great. (laughs) And I remember being in the kitchen uh, one summer. I I don't know how old I was, but I was like peeling the peach, and then I was cutting off all the bruised parts. And I mean, I was getting close down to the pit. (laughs) And my grandmother said, "Sweetie, you just eat the bruised parts. Like, quit, quit cutting off all the. It's going to taste just as good. And it sweeter. Poor sweeter." poor pivot (laughs) but i'm a preacher (laughs) that's what we end up doing in the church is we just like cut off all the things that we think are bruised or incomplete or we name them unbiblical whatever (laughs) non-biblical and you're just you're left with nothing i mean you're not even left with the body of christ you're just left with a prosthetic i don't even know (laughs) like and that so that's what i think we are in the movement of capital c church Mm-hmm. And you look at church history, that was the one course in seminary that just made me weep mm-hmm. and want to hide. Mm-hmm. It was like, mm-hmm. oh, in the name of God, in the name of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, but that is also the age we're in. Mm-hmm. We're just, you just keep segmenting things off. You're not left with much. Mm-hmm. Well, the way, so my background, although always United Methodist, actually my biblical training as a layperson was in a much more conservative format and so Mm -hmm. i kind of went into seminary with the idea with the understanding that okay i can be a pastor as a woman but these other people couldn't because they're not whatever and um and Mm. it was through seminary and the realization that wait a minute there's Mm. not a once you start kind of parsing things out, you know, all those passages that she quoted and stuff, it's like, okay, there are a lot of passages of why I shouldn't be. Um, but what I, when I looked at church history and when I looked at scripture, I saw God always drawing a bigger circle. Yeah. Not a smaller one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It wasn't, you know, at first it was, you know, the call of Abraham and then I'm going to make all the, you know, mm-hmm. the more than the stars and the grains of sand. And then Jesus is go and make disciples of all the nations. It was always include more people, yeah. not okay, well, you get to be in, you know, and it was never humans decide, you know, when I looked at scripture, it wasn't humans deciding who got to be in and out. It was God who decided that it was going to be a bigger circle 
when it was left to humans, then we were always doing exactly what you described, cutting, you know, well, yeah. you're not, you're not, you know, you're not in, you're not in, you're not in. Well, look, but I do get to be, you know. So that's when I had to really rethink my theology of my own personal call and the call of others. Mm. And that, that was a big pivot for me because I really went in with a pretty conservative so understanding yeah. or what I thought was the way it's supposed to be because mm. of what I had learned in this mm -hmm. Bible study. Mm -hmm. But then I realized, wait a minute, that doesn't, that doesn't even hold up to history yeah. <laughs> so, or it's to scripture. You, you know, it's, that's, that's uh, fascinating to me because that, that would not be something as a man that I would ever make that case, like my call to ministry and then try to say, oh, my call to ministry should somehow change my way of thinking about maybe LGBTQ persons should be ordained, mm -hmm. you know, about my background. That never would have, for, for a woman to be called into ministry and have to wrestle with the texts, mm -hmm. right, that are in the scripture, you're coming at it from a little bit of a different, and I'm not saying that all mm -hmm. women would agree with you on right. that. Uh, it's true because there have been some women that have chosen to yep. disaffiliate from yep. the United Methodist Church. Mm -hmm. But that's mm -hmm. interesting because I don't think that would be a male, That's I don't think that's how men get there mm -hmm. in the same, at least from a personal, like right. a personal experiential personal thing. Goal. And that's what I think back to what Melissa said, the way that we continue to invite more and more voices to the table, the more you get of that. Mm -hmm. um, because like she said, there are, yeah, for our friends of color, it's even less, right? And mm -hmm. even and even fewer appointments that would have um, welcomed and been excited. And so the more people you have at a table with different experiences, different um, challenges in life, different um, places that they're accepted or not accepted, comfortable in or not, the more rich that conversation becomes. And the more that we're all able to understand from other points of view um, and see how God and the Spirit are working in places that maybe we discount initially or that we would say, well, this doesn't fit in my box and my mm -hmm. understanding of what uh, it means to be a Christ follower. And so the more diversity we have around the table in all ways, the, the fuller our understanding of God is, I think. Mm -hmm. hmm. It makes me think of uh, in 2020, and Ahmaud Arbery happened in uh, bring, having Cleve Tinsley who's yeah. been on the podcast several times and come and just to listen. And I think that's the thing. It's one thing to have diversity and have different people around the table, but how well are you listening to the people that are at the table? Yeah. Because sometimes you'll have diversity at the table and then you just uh -huh. <laughs> try yeah. to prove whatever it is your, right. your point and you don't really listen. Yeah. And that's the whole thing. It's like trying to get Preach. people to be empathetic. Yeah. Mm. I think empathy is a great gift that we all have to work on. Well, I, I think sometimes it's just so – I don't – I think sometimes when I experience people not maybe taking me as seriously as a minister or even – I don't want to say being dismissive or whatever, there, there's a part of this that is so woven into the fabric that I don't think people even realize that they're doing it, sure. you know. Mm -hmm. and And sometimes I feel like – I have to be a little louder, I have to be a little noisier, I have to be a little bit more obnoxious, I have to be like, hey, wait a minute, can we have a Bible story about a woman? You know, yeah. and, and, and then you're told that you're being too pushy, <laughs> that you're being too insert whatever. Well, I yeah. tell myself that. Yeah. How yeah, crazy yeah, yeah. is that? Yeah. You know, I, I tell myself that. But, mm -hmm. but I really think that it's woven into the fabric, and I don't know how long it takes. To, I don't think people are walking around being, you know, intentionally like, we need to get Tammy under our thumb. She needs to understand, you know. <laughs> I don't think it's like that. I think it's so subtle. 
you know, yeah. um, and just so deeply woven into the way people think, mm -hmm. you know. And and I think as we continue to see more women as as the senior pastor, you know, I think our churches have become very um, acceptable of very accepting of female associate pastors. But I'm not. I don't know where we are with with female, you know, senior pastors. Mm -hmm. When I was at my last congregation, I was the associate pastor. We were um, having a new pastor appointed. It was a woman. I actually had people come in my office and ask me, "What do you think about us getting a female pastor?" <laughs> and I said, "What do you think about it?" I am a female pastor. <laughs> what are you talking about? Well, they like, think you were going to go. Yeah, I think it's horrible. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it was just like the craziest thing. But Weird. they didn't even realize yes. what a ridiculous question yeah. that. Because it's in me. it's in an executive level, yeah, you know, yeah, and that's what I think that people have a hard time with, and that's what the Southern Baptist Church is dealing with with a lot of the splintering is a woman can be a pastor but cannot be a preaching pastor or mm -hmm. a teaching mm -hmm. pastor mm -hmm. over men or in a lead pastor role, and so that was the breakup like with Saddleback because the new pastor mm -hmm. came in and his wife is a pastor, and she was teaching from the pulpit. And that's problematic for them. So I think it's it's the role too. And you're a lead pastor now for one of the communities. And I remember when early on there there was when one of the groups that yeah, we had a couple of was, ministry partners that. that said, oh, we're going to go ahead and make a pivot and not come on Saturday nights. And to the credit of one of those groups. Um, took my phone call and we had coffee. It didn't change the decision, but there was a chance to say, you know, we're on just different pages theologically here. And, and I get it. Bless you. I'm, I'm not going to defend my call. <laughs> Certainly the church isn't going to defend its decision. And um, and with the other one, you know, we didn't have that opportunity. Um, mm -hmm. I The part of the fabric and it was really helpful when you shared about how your understanding of call and God drawing these bigger circles, which is so true and so beautiful. I, th I think about the challenges I still have in ministry and I, I wanna be in a space that I don't have to fight them and can be aware of it and the own healing in my side of the street, but then all of the ways that I'm complicit to make it impossible for someone else to come behind me mm -hmm. with a different story, with a different, life experience and um, mm -hmm. will I be open to that? I serve on the board of ordained ministry for our annual conference. And um, over the last several years, we have uh, approved folks for commissioning and ordination that even 10 years ago, I don't know that the board would have gotten there. Yeah. Wow. But I listen to call stories, I listen to, and we hear and see effectiveness in ministry. Yeah. And I think, God, the church is, is she's going to look different yeah. in the years to come. And it's it's because of that willingness. Let's keep mm -hmm. drawing the circle bigger and bigger and lay down the privilege that I have. I think, too, to something about that Tammy said in and then a little bit with you, Melissa, of it's so woven in um, and it, it it's not an intentional mm -hmm. thing. Um, and and then you use language of like we have. There have been women who before us that have fought to get to where we are. Um, and I just wonder where sometimes we need to key into that ruthlessly compassionate truth telling. Mm -hmm. um, and so I know I've had experiences where I've looped back mm -hmm. with someone afterwards and been mm -hmm. like, hey, I don't, 
I don't think this was an intentional thing, but this, this was the experience I had um, in this conversation or in this moment or in this gathering. And I just want to bring it to your attention. Like, I just want to lift it up to you um, so that we can wrestle with that together so that you can wrestle with it on your, like whatever we need to do. Um, but I think naming it more, I think is the way that you then unravel some of that fabric. Like you, you, there's some work that has to be done on all of us and it's not always comfortable and it's not, it's definitely not Mm -hmm. easy. Um, but, but to be able to get even into that kind of vulnerable place, even with somebody who maybe has wounded us, Mm -hmm. um, unintentionally, I think is important if, if that's going to continue to change. Yeah, rather than bringing it over here and like, right. which is more than it. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah, that's definitely part of the process. Part of our soul yeah, work, right? yeah, yeah. That's a, that's a good prophetic word. Yeah. All right, as we sort of wind down towards the end, what uh, what are you excited about as you look forward in just in ministry and things going on in your life and in the world? I mean, what where do you where do you find signs of hope? Like as you're looking out across the landscape, each one of you, real quick. Well, I find I find signs of hope. In, in the, the leadership that I hear from Chapelwood, what, what's draw, what drew me to Chapelwood, and I, I truly admit I did vet whether or not this would be a female-friendly place. Yes, <laughs> I, emailed, I called people, I te- checked before I came because I'm like, no thanks if it's not gonna be. Um, and so you, mm. you checked out. But what, I, what draws me <laughs> to, drew me to Chapelwood is the focus on following Jesus Christ. And, and I find hope in addressing the hard things. And I hear that when you preach. I hear that when other people preach. And that, to me, really speaks mm-hmm. to, I think our, our younger people were tired. Not that I fall in that group anymore, but I know a lot of people are just tired of the, the them and the us and the, the, just that rancor. But saying, we can, we can stay together even if we don't agree, because we can agree that we follow and love Jesus Christ and we want to be like Jesus. Mm. So, you know, and that's where I find hope is knowing, you know, really just keeping our eyes on Jesus and trying to really be faithful to following. I would add, not just when I preach or someone else preaches, but when you all pray mm-hmm. in worship. Every, the, those of you that pray, it's saying sanctuary, I know it's in other places too, but when you pray, you you. Sp- you speak to, you address the world, you speak to issues, things that are going on, but in a way that doesn't like trigger people, but that invites people into, so so you're shaping that through your prayers and through your participation in worship. I sense it when I'm in there. Anyway. I'll tell you something that, um, as I was kind of thinking about some things for today, I'll tell you, I had kind of an aha moment, and that is um, I am excited and also fascinated and intrigued by what I continue to see in terms of the way the Spirit moves in this practice of gathering as a community, you know, and that um, none of us can, like, manufacture it or manipulate it, but the gathered community where I experience, um, I practice my faith, I have a personal relationship with Christ, and a lot of it happens within the context of the gathered community, and there's something about that. So that is intriguing to me. And also what is exciting is I am encountering people who really are trying, they're trying to, they're, they're starting to realize like, I've got this stuff from way back here and I want to like address it and deal with it. And I think God wants me to also 
and it just feels so uncomfortable and I don't know what to do with it. And to be able to have like these conversations with people about this is your soul work. This is a part of life. And we do this together, you know, when we support each other. Mm. I just love watching how the Holy Spirit is changing people and healing them, the healing that I see, you know, and that makes me really excited when I see that. I think broader than than just Chapelwood, I think the spirit is on the move in really big ways um, in the world. And I have really enjoyed and am encouraged and hopeful for the new um, expressions of, of church or faith or whatever we want to call this thing that we do. Um, it's I think it's been really neat to watch how that has popped up um, and the conversations that are happening in the midst of what when I was growing up, uh, would have been a secular place that absolutely, like it was very divided on what I was taught, secular versus holy. And so um, seeing the spirit move in those spaces that growing mm-hmm. up, I was mm-hmm. told God can't move in, um, mm-hmm. that that's other, um, has been really neat to, to see. Um, and I'm excited for how that continues to, to work and move. I am uh, excited and have gas in the tank and you're gonna wrap us up, Rachel. <laughs> <laughs> It's all you, Melissa. Nope, you're last because we're going in a line here. Um, I have I have gas in the tank and fire in the belly that um, God's audacious plan is still to raise up a people to share the good news of the gospel of the one who came mm-hmm. and like was crucified and died. Mm-hmm. And rose again. Yes. And and now is a time more than ever where uh, we, I, maybe in my own journey, um, there's just a lot that is dying within the institution of the church. And mm-hmm. let's lean into our theology. Um, that That is going to happen, uh, is happening, has already happened, and resurrection will be on the other side someday. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so as of July 1st, I will be... Uh, launched out of the Chapelwood family after 15 years, and um, this place has really offered uh, a space for me to grow my soul, first and foremost, and uh, and to grow as a leader. Um, but I'll get the opportunity to look across our Texas Annual Conference and to just listen to folks in spaces where the Spirit is already moving, like you said, <laughs> and um, to hopefully just be able to pastor pastors and encourage yeah, expressions where the Spirit is is already working. And um, so I'm really, it, this was God's original idea, and, and I don't know why God has not pivoted since, <laughs> but it's to raise up a people. And mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. that's so cool to be a part of it. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll end with this. Um, when Michael and I came to uh, look at coming to Chapelwood, um, John brought us to Mercy Street that night or that weekend that we were here. And Melissa, as I sat there and just watched you and just listened to you, I mean, you were so articulate and you were so, I mean, as Tammy says, you stood in your authority mm. with such compassion and gentleness. I mean, so you were, you, you just, um, you, we just got done doing this study here at Chapel Wood about the fourfold way of Jesus. You were all of, um, you were healer, 
Mm-hmm. You were warrior. Mm-hmm. You were um, prophet, mm-hmm. and you were teacher. I mean, it was all came to bear right there. And I remember sitting there, just going, "Wow, <laughs> the spirit of the Lord is upon you." Mm-hmm. And I thought, "Wow, I want to be here, mm-hmm. and I want to be around that kind of energy." Mm-hmm. And I am so excited for you, and that you're going to take that out. Now, I know this might sound like we're, we're saying goodbye to Melissa, mm-hmm. but it goes to. Mm-hmm. Your call, yeah, and how that has played out here in this place, and it's gonna, you know, get played out in so many other places and spaces. So, yeah, you're welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It's very generous, and it's very you. So, thank you. (laughs) Thanks, Rachel. Goodbye, Melissa. (laughs) Now, this is one of the reasons why I'm I'm humbled to be a part of this place and blessed to work with people like you. And we got tons of great people, but you are a few of them. Mm -hmm. And I'm grateful for you. Thanks for coming and being on this and just Mm -hmm. talking about all these sorts of things and ministry. And Mm -hmm. um, I think it's important. I think part part of this conversation to be to specifically talk about some of the challenges that women face in ordained ministry is important when you start talking about changing whatever's baked in or the culture or things that people don't mean anything ill, but it's just kind of, you know, the culture's like the water the fish swim in. They don't even know it's there. It just is. And you have to have these kinds of conversations and model different things in order for people to to wake up to some of that stuff. So I think it's good. It's good. Thank you all for being here and thanks for doing this. Uh, Well, I'm John Stevens. I'm Tammy Heinrich. I'm Sarah Barnett. Melissa Mayer. I'm Joy Johnston. I'm Rachel Sheretti. That's great. And this is Pot Have Mercy. (laughs) 